Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about resistant weeds. And we would be happy to take your phone call as well. Our lines will be open all throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. All right, we are going to continue saying this, but with with the whole coronavirus thing, uh, COVID-19, we would just really encourage you, if you are a farmer, pick your product up now. I don't expect we're going to have a big shutdown of ag retailers around the country or anything like that. But nevertheless, you want to get yourself prepared, get everything you need on the farm now, and then you are in good shape when spring comes. You know what, Brent? It's amazing to me how much good information is absolutely timeless. You could say that exact same thing every season, even if there were no restrictions on travel, no restrictions on gatherings, all this stuff have everything in place early. It makes so much sense. So if you're at home saying, you know what, I don't have the ability to have a heated space in my facility, or I don't have a forklift, or I don't have any way to handle bulk seed or or whatever that you're relying on somebody else for. It's just one of those things where you look at it and say, all right, over time, I need to get set up so I can do some of these things myself. And so I can bring materials home to my farm You know, maybe it's even just a month early would be a huge upgrade versus getting it the day of using it. All those things will be so valuable for you always. And then you get a year like this and, hey, it's really valuable right now. I look at last year and I think about the delay in planting that a lot of farmers had, Brian, and where it was. Well, we have a 12-hour window to do some planting here where things finally got close enough to fit. You can't be running to a supplier during those times. you got to have stuff on hand. So I I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know if you're listening to our show, you're probably like, yeah, 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 Darren. I I know. We do that. We do that. It's just a good reminder, and it's something that I think is really important every year. Yeah, so I am encouraged that they have found some new drugs that hopefully will stop the coronavirus thing that's going on right now that's got a lot of promise i I think it's interesting darren i went to india in september and that they're talking about now they've had 100 percent success in the very limited testing that they've done when they combine this old malaria medicine with a very powerful uh uh uh, it's azithromycin. Yes. It's azithromycin. Thank you. So if you've ever Thank had uh, a I, heavy, hard cold or flu and they say we're going to yes. give you a Z-Pack, I believe that's what you're getting is you're getting azithromycin. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's, a, that's the Z-Pack. But, okay, you might be right. But all I know is I took that this fall, and I took a different malaria medicine this fall when when I was over in India. So it's like, ooh, um, maybe, maybe I don't think that's going to help me now here like eight months later after I was there, but I'm, I'm just saying these are common drugs. So I, if that actually pans out, that would be great when these things are already approved on the market. But anyway, let's get to our topic today. It's resistant weeds. So we're talking Roundup resistance, ALS resistance, all those kind of things. Um, I, I, I guess there are a lot of solutions out there. There's no such thing as a super weed. And we want to talk through all the things, or I shouldn't say all the things. We want to talk through many of the common things you can do to help prevent weed resistance on your farm and solve weed resistance. So that's what we're going to get to today. 
Let's dive into uh, phone calls. As always, you can give our, call, our show a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've got Arthur on right now in Northeast Arkansas. Arthur, how are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Uh, my boy, it ain't really a question, but uh, with all this um, virus and stuff going around, I think it'd be good if you could have maybe a day or two show on you know, gardening to get people started because it's early yet. Things they need to do now to prep for their garden and things they could plant. Oh, that's a good question, Arthur. We we do get some gardening questions. That's not our specialty, but uh, when we think about the, the gardening, there are certain crops that grow better in different areas of the country, and that's something that you could, could seek out some local expertise on of, hey, what grows well here? Many of the soils things that we talk about, though, Brian, they're, they're going to... Re- it's going to be the same thing whether you're raising cucumbers or a vegetable in a yep. garden or you're raising corn or soybeans. Yep, that's right. So the most important thing I would say if you have a garden is to do what we talk about quite often here on the show, and that's do some soil testing and then get your soil well balanced in terms of fertility. Now, different crops require different nutrients, and we also have that on our Ag PhD app that is called the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. So you can go to whatever crop it is. Now, granted, we don't have every last vegetable in the world on there, but we do have a lot of different crops, and you can see what the nutrient requirements are. And then, of course, you could calculate that down. That's on a per acre basis. You could calculate that down to a square foot basis. Pretty easy because a square, well, an acre is 43,560 square feet. But anyway, coming back to the fertility thing, we talk about, both soil pH and nutrients out in that soil. And if you are able to get that adjusted and get it right, then it just makes so much difference. And I don't care what crop you're raising. So that's really always number one, other than, of course, drainage. I mean, we we talk about that quite often too. If you had, let's say, a small area that is going to be a garden that's poorly drained, you could always put a piece of tile. You could literally, literally hand dig it if you wanted to, throw a piece of tile down there two feet deep in the ground or something like that to improve the drainage through there. But yeah, fertility, by far and away, that's the big deal. That probably the biggest question we get, though, Arthur, on I mean, in terms of garden production, is what can I use to kill the weeds so I don't have to pull them by hand? Now we talk about preen quite often. That's basically just trifluralin or uh, pendimethalin. When you when you look at those kind of products, the yellows we call them, they're going to kill grass. They're going to kill some broadleaves, and there are a lot of garden crops that you can use a preen type product. But then obviously there's some that you can't. So you have to be a little bit careful. It, it's really hard when you start getting a garden that, let, that, let's say, has 10, 15 different crops out there. In those cases, then generally speaking, it's hand weeding. But yeah, start clean, have good drainage, do soil testing, and then absolutely put the right fertility out there. It doesn't cost a lot when you get a small garden, but you do that, you're going to have much better overall production. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Worried about glyphosate-resistant weeds and grasses in your corn? Unleash the power of new Impact-Z herbicide and get the early post-application advantage you've been waiting for. Save $3 per acre when you combine Impact-Z with a qualifying insecticide purchase. Go to buy2save3.com for details. Buy2Save3 is a service mark and Impact-Z is a trademark owned by AMVAC Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact-Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Challenging field conditions often make harvest difficult. Can your corn head handle it? The GTS X10 corn head from Agra US is a rugged, cost-effective alternative to heavier, more traditional heads. Constructed of durable yet lightweight aluminum, the X10 puts less strain on your combine without losing harvest effectiveness. And it is 40% lighter than traditional heads, reducing field compaction in those less than ideal conditions. For more information, give us a call at 8334-AGRA-US. How do you know when to run your grain bin fans? There's an app for that. With the Steps GMS app, you can manually turn your fans on and off from your smartphone. You can also configure the Steps GMS app to automatically turn fans on when the humidity or temperature is ideal to keep your grain in top quality condition. Save yourself some time and take the guesswork out of managing your stored grain with the Steps GMS app. Contact us at stepsgms.com for more information. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio talking about resistant weeds. Let's start first with this. If you're going to prevent weed resistance on your farm, we want you to use multiple effective modes of action. So it's not just how many modes of action you use. It is do they actually control the weed? So if you have three herbicides out there, that are all different modes of action, and each one of them is effective on the weed, your odds of any weed or of that weed ever developing resistance are really, really slim. Don't ever forget the most important thing here is a dead weed can't become a resistant weed. And I don't care how you control it, whether you pull it by hand, you kill it with tillage, you control it with a herbicide, or, or it dies. just get a dense crop it, canopy right. and choke it out. Exactly. That's, I was just going like to say, or if it dies of natural causes. <laughs> so well, however it is, well, we just at, want the weed dead. Yeah, you look at it this way. And I, we were, we've been talking about gardening. We had a great call uh, talking about, hey, maybe we should just grow some more stuff at home. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. What we want to focus on is soil health. We want to have plenty of nutrition in that soil because that nutrition is going to transfer into that crop that you're raising and then it's going to transfer into your body. So you want to have the healthiest food you can have. And when we think about controlling weeds, the big deal is those weeds are taking away that food from our crop. And all of a sudden, we find weeds like pigweed, for example, and our, our last caller was from Arkansas, and they've got a huge issue with Palmer pigweed and other pigweeds there. Those weeds are huge users of nutrients, and that's why they're so bad. They're very inefficient users of nutrients, and when they're out in our fields, they're going to take a disproportionate amount of the water and nutrients from our crop, and that's going to lead to less healthy vegetables in our garden, for example. So we want to make sure we get them under control. And and the other thing that we'll talk about a lot is if we can get our crops off to a good start, whether it's vegetables in the garden, and you can do this by planning how you're going to set that garden up. Out in fields, farmers do it by 
choosing the row spacing and the plant population they want to use. If we can get those crops off to a great start and get it so they completely shade out the ground, in many cases we can stop the weeds from coming or stop most of the weeds from coming, and that helps a lot in our yield and it helps stop some of these tough resistant weeds. Uh, real happy to have Eric Prosco with the University of Georgia with us right now. Eric, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me again. Always uh, look forward to talking to you. We're talking about crop canopy, and to get to crop canopy, we got to take care of weeds up front. A lot of times we're talking about using three modes of action at least with our pre-emerge program. What are growers in Georgia doing? What are they finding success with stopping these resistant weeds? Oh, I, before I say anything, believe it or not, today in the field, pigweed already emerged in the field today. How about oh. that? I wish they were emerged here because we'd freeze them off tonight with a frost. <laughs> so anyway, so for us, it's a, we use a combination of things, right? We're going to use cover crops when we can. We're going to use tillage. We're going to use narrow row spacing. And then we're going to use at least two or three residuals in our program and uh, be timely with our post. And then, believe it or not, a lot of our growers will willingly hand weed now to try to prevent seed rain back into the field. So that's our sort of quick program approach to managing resistant weeds. How about crop rotation? And I know when we, we talk to growers in the West, we hear a lot about wheat in the rotation. Oh, man, we got a lot of good tools in wheat. How about for you in Georgia? What are some of the crops that are really helping you to control weeds? Well, for us, because we're primarily a cotton and peanut state, we have programs built in both of those crops that can use five or six or seven modes of action within each crop. So that's extremely beneficial. Uh, we're not just relying on a couple. We've got multiple modes of action. And then we throw in corn in there as well. So we're able to use some of the uh, HPPDs that we don't really use in anywhere else. So that kind of helps us break up uh, some of the resistance as well as uh, we still get a little bit of activity out of atrazine. So uh, there's, there's some good diversity here that's really helped us, uh, especially when you compare it to some other states that can't use that many modes of action in a certain cropping system. Now you mentioned timely post-emerge applications, and this mm -hmm. gets tricky, especially uh, for a lot of growers. 2019 was excessively wet. It was really difficult to get in. I know you guys have faced some really wet conditions at times already this year. Yeah. What about this year? What would you advise for guys that say, you know, I'm not sure I'll be able to be as timely as I want post-emerge. Is there a target window that you say, okay, here's right. the weed size or the crop size I'd like to get? Well, I think I think the key we got to remember when we talk about weed size is that it's um, when the t not the average, right? Because when we're talking about pigweed, we say we have an average of four inches. You you probably got some that are four inches. You might have some that are two inches. You might have some that are eight inches. So we got when we're talking about pigweed, we got to look at the tallest plant in the field. We want that to be three inches or less if that if that can happen now. You and I can say that, that we need to get out there at that time, but we all know that doesn't happen in a lot of cases. But we're shooting for three inches or less, the tallest pigweed in the field. When we're looking at those post-emerge applications, we get a lot of questions about what is the safety of some of these post-emerge herbicides on the crops? And certainly some herbicides are a little harder on the crop than others. We see so many growers that are used to just using Roundup and they feel like, wow, I'm, I'm spraying Roundup on a Roundup-ready crop. Now I've got to use all these other products. Is there a good way for growers to sort through that or is there a resource out there available to talk about that? Well, that, that's interesting. Before we used to use all this technology, you guys might remember if we were going to spray uh, 
Cobra on soybeans for a minute for a blazer. I would <laughs> to tell people spray spray Cobra a blazer, then that's a good time to go on vacation. Then Absolutely, back, it'll be gone, right? So I think it's just re- getting reused to the fact that some of these materials are going to cause a little bit of crop injury. But as long as you're using them right, you're not using excessive rates. Most of that injury is cosmetic. It hurts your feelings, hurts your pride, but in the end, it's most likely not going to hurt your yield. You know, we talk a lot about it with the dicamba option because growers are trying to spray it early because they're worried about if there ever was any off-target drift. We know when neighboring soybean fields that are susceptible are in the flowering stage, we really take a lot off of yield. But if we we hit them early, it's just kind of cosmetic, doesn't seem to create a huge loss in most cases. Yeah. Would would you say that's a safe statement? Yeah, generally, for sure, with uh, the dicambas, for sure. You know, and, and hopefully... You know, the other thing about thinking early, we're, if we're encouraging growers to do it early, we're also encouraging them to hopefully when the weeds are going to be small, that the weeds should be smaller. So there's a there's a plus plus there by an encouraging them to get out there earlier. You know, I think one of you guys have probably heard this before. You know, I want to wait till all the weeds come up. Absolutely, How many times have you yes. heard that? Right. And if you wait till all the weeds come up, then you're probably going to be too late. And then you're going to be putting yourself in a situation where maybe you're making an application later or maybe at a stage of growth that's maybe not really where we want to be. Now you mentioned cover crops, Eric, and, and certainly uh, we think about further south, warmer climates, uh, a long time there where we've got growing conditions that would support a growing cover crop out in the field. Uh, how does that change things for you? Where do you see this cover crop getting used in the double crop situation? Uh, does that change things in terms of rotation? Are you guys using a lot of cereal rye or, or what gets used there? Well, we're starting to see more use of cereal rye. And strictly for uh, management of Palmer amaranth, where we're going to plant it in the fall and manage it well, try to get as much biomass as possible, then actually burn that down and strip till into that. And that cover crop is going to be another tool for us uh, to manage Palmer. Uh, and we don't have to use, I mean, we're still using herbicides, but it's the supplement to the whole program. So we're starting to see more rye, rye use, but it would probably be, more benefit. If there was more incentive for growers to do that financially, then we would probably see more used. Uh, but you know, it's when you got to pay for the seed, pay for some fertilizer, and you're really burning it down. You know, you kind of sometimes wonder what the value is, although it's bringing a lot to the table for pig management. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of different things there. And I love that you brought up uh, so many different options for controlling resistant weeds. It's not just, oh, I got to pick a different herbicide. It's It comes down to rotation and cover crops and tillage and, and that, lots of different steps. That's the first thing we say whenever we talk to growers. You know, herbicides are one part of the whole equation. And um, if you just rely on herbicides like we have in the past, that's where we get into trouble. Great advice. We've been talking to Eric Prosco with the University of Georgia. Eric, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on, and good luck here. I know you already got crops up, so good luck with that first round of weed control. Oh, thank you very much. You guys have a great day. You bet. You as well. We're talking about controlling resistant weeds on today's program. And I love, uh, it's a great way to start. Lots of different things that we've got, lots of different tools we've got in our tool belt. We definitely don't need to be overwhelmed with this. We'll talk more about resistant weeds coming up right after this. Stay tuned. The Grain Depth Guard from Farm Shop MFG has helped farmers keep their bushels safe from spoilage and shrinkage loss in bins all across the country. And this low-cost solution just became even more affordable. 
FarmShop MFG is offering a $100 factory rebate on all grain temp guard bin monitoring systems. This offer is available for a limited time only, so take advantage of this program now to upgrade your bins and protect your crop investments. For more information, visit FarmShopMFG.com. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough to control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Before it's too late and white mold becomes a problem, you need to ask your seed dealer for heads-up seed treatment. When raising soybeans in the Midwest, you know the risk of being caught unprepared. As heard on AgPhD, there are several steps you can take prior to planting for a successful management plan against white mold. Compatible and cost-effective season-long protection starts now by asking your seed dealer to apply Heads Up to your 2020 bean seed order. For more information, visit headsupst.com. Your land is a legacy, a challenge from those who tended it before you to build on their foundations. At Corteva AgriScience, we understand what it means to be the stewards of a legacy. We embrace the challenge of building on the foundation of Dow AgroSciences to maintain your trust, to bring new solutions, to help you care for your land. See how we can help build your legacy at rangeandpasture.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin Studio today. We're talking about resistant weeds. And I know whenever we bring this subject up, we'll get some comments. Oh, man, hefty boys are talking about pigweed again. Well, guess what? There's a lot more weeds we're concerned about than just pigweed. Now, we were talking to Eric Prostko down at the University of Georgia. Pigweed's a big concern for them. Now we're really happy to have Joe Eichley with us with North Dakota State University. And uh, they get some different resistant weeds they're concerned about in North Dakota. Joe, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Glad, glad to be on. All right. Now, when uh, we were talking about this, we were talking about what weeds are we really concerned about here? And I got thinking about what about wild oats? We don't hear enough talk about just the modes of action that we've got available to us and small grains. And if we've got wild oats resistant to even one of them, that's a real concern. Yeah. And that's, that's really one of the, I'll say lesser talked about weeds. 
as you guys kind of mentioned in your intro, the pigweeds do get a lot of a lot of talk in for good reasons. Uh, but our wheat growers, we're facing some real challenges with wild oat, um, especially as it comes to wild oat control and wheat. We definitely have some populations that are, well, they're basically resistant to everything we can throw at them in wheat, post-emergence at least. So that's kind of our one extreme, and then we, we have some some resistance uh, across other populations, but certainly a challenge. All right. When you mentioned that, we're, we're talking about group one and group two resistance. How, how widespread is that issue, and is it just a North Dakota thing, or are you seeing that across in Montana, South Dakota, Minnesota as well? Yes, there's at least, you know, it's really a problem for us in, we'll call it the northern, we'll say the northern half or so of the state is where it's the worst. Um, so we do have some issues in, in northwest Minnesota, uh, some in Montana as well. But yes, the resistance we're talking about, so we have some populations that are resistant to some group one herbicides, and then also for some group two herbicides, our worst population that we found is resistant to every group one and group two herbicide we can use in wheat. So it's it's certainly a major problem in some areas and became, beginning to, be, to become more problematic in other areas as well, mainly in the you know, close to the Canadian borders is our biggest issue. Is it a crop rotation thing where we can solve this by planting some Roundup Ready soybeans, for example, and, and killing those volunteer plants off in that next year? Or what are some of the better solutions that you found? Yeah, and that, that's what many are going to, um, going to Roundup Ready soybeans to, to be able to use glyphosate in crop, and that can certainly help us out. Uh, you know, some of the worst areas are where we have basically a, a, a wheat uh, canola rotation, and canola really backs us into using those group one herbicides, and that's those areas with that type of rotation have really become some of the more problematic ones, but where we can introduce Roundup Ready soybeans, um, that can certainly help using using glyphosate in crop. And then the areas that can grow corn, we have some uh, options like our atrazine plus group 27 combinations can help us out in corn. Okay, let's talk about uh, another weed that I know is a real concern for growers in your area, kochia. We're, we're seeing a lot of the kochia being resistant to more than one family, uh, Roundup certainly being one popular chemistry that that it's really unfortunate we're seeing some resistance to, but also even we're hearing some resistance talk about starane and, and some of those types of products. Is that a widespread issue yet, or is that still fairly contained? So I'll say for, for North Dakota, at least, I know it's a different story in uh, Nebraska, Colorado, but uh, up here, glyphosate resistance is becoming fairly widespread, um, especially in the middle and western parts of the state. And uh, we're, we're getting some more in the east as well. That The dicamba and starring resistance, we have four populations that we are aware of kind of isolated from each other. So not widespread yet. Um, we have seen some concerning, uh, what to say, results when kosher was sprayed with too large or when it was too large with dicamba and extend soybeans last year so. It may be more widespread than we know, but at least now just kind of four isolated populations for dicamba and starring resistance that we know of. 
Yeah, it's we really appreciate the communication too. NDSU does a really nice job. It's North Dakota State University. For those of you listening from other parts of the country, uh, do a nice job really communicating where they're seeing these challenges at, and and growers seem to be fairly aware of where the problem areas are, and are, are certainly aggressive in finding some different solutions. When we look at kosha, we have really addressed that oftentimes in the soybeans with a, an aggressive pre-program, and we're seeing pretty good results. You know, Joe, what do you see on the pre-emerge herbicides for kosha? It's not perfect, but we can get most of them under control. Right, and that's, you know, those who did get a pre-emergence down in front of the soybeans last year were, were very happy to call me up and, and tell me how pleased they were with how it works. And so, you know, we're looking at soybean. One of our group 14, such as Spartan or Valor, uh, or Authority, we, we sell off Spartan up here, but Authority slash Spartan or Valor. Um, and then Metribuzin also helps us tremendously. So one of those pre-mixes with a group 14 plus Metribuzin, and we can get some activity out of Digua as well if you want to spend a little bit of extra money. But starting starting with a group 14 plus Metribuzin, can get us pretty clean for a while on kosher in front of soybeans. Yeah, I hear a lot of growers from North Dakota that will call our show talk about having a three, four, five crop rotation to try to deal with some of these weeds and get several crops where they can do a great job on kosher so they feel really comfortable coming back in with small grains or, or one of the crops where it's a little bit more difficult. And that it's been nice. What about cover crops in your state, Joe? You, when we think about North Dakota, we think about a relatively short growing season. Are cover crops going to be a, a big player for growers in your state? You know, I think they're starting to become more widespread uh, because of our establishment timings in the fall with an early frost. Adoption is still somewhat slow, uh, but there are some pretty aggressive no-till farmers that we have that are really getting into the into the cover crop system. As far as our winters, we really have cereal rye that we're confident will survive, and a kind of a new up-and-comer uh, winter camelina, a broadleaf cover crop that we know can survive our winter. Where that fits in the weed control, we're you know, we're still kind of, kind of teasing that out. Uh, we've had a couple of dry springs in a row, which can, can be an issue if you have cereal rye that you let go too long in the spring and tie up some of that moisture. So we're, we're kind of behind some other states, I would say, is looking at the weed control component. But as cover crops do get more adopted, we, we need to take a harder look at that in the northern Great Plains. Been talking with Joe Eichley with North Dakota State University. Uh, Joe, thank you so much. Really appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks for being on the show today, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, one of the things that we talked about just briefly earlier in the show is there's no such thing as a super weed. We have methods to kill every weed that there is out there in the world. I'm not saying they will be your first choices. But we absolutely have ways to control weeds. So when you start talking about Palmer pigweed, water hemp, kochia, some that are getting resistant to both Roundup and the ALS herbicides, and possibly even some other herbicide modes, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of effort. And you may have to change your plans. But we talk so often about, hey, use a pre-emerge herbicide and use multiple effective modes of action pre-emerge, and then do the same thing post-emerge, and you're going to be in pretty good shape in just about every crop. But it's been talked about already here in the last couple segments, control those weeds early. Pre is great. Very early post is great. When you give the weed some time to grow, 
it just has that much more strength and it's able to work through somehow, some way, some of these herbicides that we have believed in the past and maybe even now will work pretty effectively. So when you look at almost every herbicide out there, it's going to have right on the label what the weed height needs to be, the maximum weed height. So it's not the average weed height. It's not the smallest. It's what's the biggest you can go. And in a lot of cases, it's three, four inches tall, maybe five or six inches tall. Definitely not a foot tall for almost any herbicide and almost any weed. So be early. Try to spray when the weather is good. We want warm weather, preferably a couple days in advance of spraying and a couple days after spraying. We need that weed to be actively growing. So it brings the herbicide in, it moves the herbicide quickly to the growing point, and you can deliver a lethal dose to each and every growing point on that plant. Then you're going to be in good shape. We definitely want to make sure we're not letting these weeds go to seed. And if we can prevent weeds from going to seed, we're talking about a lot of annual weeds here that we're struggling with herbicide resistance. We can control them very well if we just keep them from starting in our fields. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Bean growers continue to see yield loss from white mold across the Midwest this season. To maximize next year's crop, a white mold prevention strategy that includes Contans WG Soil Fungicide is a must for your farming operation. Applying Contans this fall to reduce the sclerotia in the soil is the most effective way to stop white mold at its source. Start a Contans white mold control strategy this fall or pay for it later in lost yield. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. 
How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Avoid dry run failures with the new Hypro Force Field Pump. Providing the ultimate protection, this wet seal pump will save you on costly in-season downtime to keep your sprayer running. Now all you have to worry about is the weather. Hypro, helping you spray better. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. All right, a little bit earlier we had Mary from Florida call in, and she had agreed with our first caller on the show just talking about raising local produce if you are concerned about what's going on right now in the United States and in Canada with the coronavirus and all the other issues that are out there. Um yeah, it's certainly up to you whether you want to do that or not. It is absolutely possible. There's plenty of land, and a person can do uh, a lot of good with a garden. Um, she went on to say, and tell our producer, uh, she wants more organic and less push on Kim. Well, Mary, I'd just say this. Don't be believing everything that you hear in the mainstream media. Most of what you hear is complete nonsense. In terms of chemicals causing a whole bunch of cancer out there anything else that's ridiculous no way on crops because and and stay with me here most of what we use today is actually quite safe on crops now i'm not saying that 30 40 50 years ago that was true but today we use a lot of products that aren't quite natural but they're awful close i'll give you two great examples most popular insecticide in the world right now is or insecticides, insecticide family, I should say, is the pyrethroid family. That comes from the chrysanthemum flower. It's like sprinkling a flower over your crop. That's not going to hurt anybody. The most popular herbicide in the United States today in corn, or the, again, sorry, most popular herbicide family is the HPPDs, the most popular residual herbicide family. So these HPPDs, that's it started with Callisto. That was the first product. And that got discovered when a Syngenta researcher noticed that around his tree, which was a Callistamone tree in his yard, there were no weeds there. And he thought, huh, I wonder if there's something in the tree that's controlling the weeds. Sure enough, they, they found that. And then they marketed it as Callisto. So even Roundup, you know, we can talk all day long about glyphosate, but glyphosate's never killed anybody, never caused anybody's cancer. It's been proven for over 50 years by every regulatory agency in the world. And don't forget, glyphosate works on an enzyme found only in plants. We don't even have that enzyme as human beings. It's not going to hurt us. And if you look at the LD50, which is right on the label of every food product out there, the LD50 or lethal dose for caffeine is 200 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. For glyphosate, it's 5,600. In other words, it would take 28 times more glyphosate to kill you than it would caffeine. Also, occasionally we'll get people calling or writing in like, well, glyphosate's in my cereal now. Have you actually tested your cereal? There's no way that it's in your cereal. Test it. There's all kinds of nonsense out there, and most of it is put out by people trying to scare you to death, then, hey, media ratings go up. When you're scared to death, look at right now. All the news channels, their ratings are way up. You're scared. Okay, They're trying to scare you. <laughs> Don't fall into it. 
So all I'm saying here is I have no issue if any farmer out there wants to raise organic, that's absolutely fine. There's a market for that. But what I'm trying to say here is, Mary, on the consumer side of things, there is nothing out there to substantiate the fact that organic is safer for you. In fact, I'll just tell you this story. When my wife and I first got married, she's from town. I'm not. I come home one day, and there's something that was right in the front in the freezer or in the refrigerator. I can remember this. I open the refrigerator. It says organic on it. And I go, honey, I don't want to eat that. That's not safe enough. That's too dangerous. She goes, what? I thought organic was safer. I said, no, quit listening to the mainstream media. They're sucking you into that. No way. And now you spent more money than you need to. So the reason why organic is not going to be safer for you, and again, I'm not saying don't eat organic. I'm not saying farmers, you're bad for producing organic. There's a market out there for it. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we know for a fact is this. When a plant is under stress of any kind, That could be from weeds, from insects, diseases, whatever, nutrient, being short on nutrients, anything. If it's under stress, it's going to produce more natural carcinogens. That's an absolute proven fact. So if if it is raised organically, and if you do prevent all diseases, weeds, and insects by hand or however you do it, or you got some other something you're spraying on there, great. That's awesome. Now you're in good shape. But what I worry about is the organic stuff that isn't produced that way. And when weeds are just running rampant out there, diseases, insects, that's not real healthy for you. And it's not very healthy for your crop to start with. It doesn't end up healthy for the consumer in the end. So anyway, uh, again, just so we're clear on this, if you are a farmer out there who's producing organic, I fully support you. We talk about things to improve organic production all the time. I have no issue with that at all. But to just make a blanket statement and say, well, we need less chemical and more organic, I, I, I'm not going to do that. It, the, the cost is higher, and there's nothing proving that it's safer. So anyway, there are a lot of people out there that they just want organic. That's, that's totally fine. And again, we are fully supportive of that, anything we can do. The number one thing that we say all the time, whether you're an organic producer or not, is we want you to do the very best job overall of crop production. That starts with great drainage or irrigation, if you know, depending on your, your situation, but water management and air management. And then next thing is learn how to read a soil test properly fertilize, have the right balance of nutrients. I mean, ideally, we'd like it if you could raise a crop without having to use any pesticides, That whether they are biopesticides or chemical pesticides. I don't care. I'd rather have used nothing. That would be amazing if we can do that. And if you have great drainage, and if you have a fantastic fertility program and good seed, you're in pretty good shape to start with. So anyway, uh, yeah, I hate to go on a complete rant, and I, but I could talk all day long about that particular issue. Our topic today, we were talking about resistant weeds, and when it comes to some of these resistant weeds, it is going to t- they're, they're nasty because they grow super fast. Like, let's take palmer pigweed or water hemp. I mean, when they can grow up to two or three inches tall in a day, two or three extra inches in a day, 
I mean, you think about how many people you'd have to have out there pulling those weeds. Well, I just think about That's how rough. many seeds are on each of these plants. And we talk about all these different a million. species. Yep. And there's there's just a ton of seeds out there. And that's what I was getting to as well. If you're going to be organic, you're going to try and do it without herbicides. You really have to be fussy where you can't let anything go to seed. Because once you have a million seeds out there, it's really hard to get back in front of. All right, let's dive into that Ag PhD mailbag. We've got a number of questions here. Uh, one comes from uh, Steve over in Minnesota, and he said, doing some research uh, on herbicides here, but I don't see a whole lot listed as being labeled for hemp production and was told by another person on the wheat board that, oh, well, I think you just do a lot of the same management programs as you do on wheat. So you should look into wheat herbicides. But of course, not too many guys in southern Minnesota are growing wheat. So just wondering what you see for herbicide alternatives uh, in a burn down and possibly with residual. Uh, what would you think about Sharpen? Although that comes in one gallon jugs and unless you're doing a ton of acres, it's hard to use those up. Uh, oh, I don't know. A one gallon jug at two ounces to the acre. You're only talking 64 acres, so it's not that many acres. But anyway, the, yeah, the, the, here's the problem. For us as agronomists, we can't recommend things that aren't labeled. And since hemp has not been this standard crop in the United States, there aren't a lot of products that are labeled right now. So we just, we can't make many recommendations to you. Is it very likely that a lot of products that you are already familiar with will eventually be approved in hemp? Yeah. Yep. Certainly is. Especially fungicides, insecticides, a lot of the pre-emerge herbicides. So yeah, I don't have any real great answer for you today. Yeah, that's that's tough. On these uh, smaller acre crops, many times there just aren't a ton of herbicides available. There are programs available, and, and on a state-by-state basis, a lot of times the, the universities will be working on this, and even some of the big egg chem manufacturers yeah. working like on the IR4 well, program. Well, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the show with the caller who wanted to produce more vegetables. Well, we focus on the big acre crops. Well, that's corn, soybeans, and wheat. So you're going to hear about corn, soybeans, and wheat constantly here at Ag PhD. But a lot of these practices we're talking about, and quite frankly, a lot of these herbicides and just everything that we're doing could theoretically be used on some of those different crops. We just have to be very careful about what's labeled and what's not. Because again, this comes back to Mary's point about crop safety, uh, about food safety. We want to use things that are absolutely labeled, tested, proven to be safe. All right, we'll continue in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima Fungicide, Swift Activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic fungicides from Atticus LLC. Fungal diseases can be devastating, but Acadia, Slant, and Talaris 4.5F from Atticus deliver lasting, broad-spectrum fungi control so your soybeans, sugar beets, and dry beans can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means we're taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can email us radio at agphd.com. All right, looking back in that mailbag, got some interesting questions. This one comes from Jeff, and he said, I'm doing some research on the possibility of running a six-row corn six-row soybean intercrop system, and I'm working through details on planting populations, herbicides, pest control. Lots lots of things to think about here. Let's look at the weed control. I'm just wondering what your weed control options are. I got a number of questions. We can start with that one. You didn't say what crops, though, Darren. Corn and soybeans, six rows of each. Oh, I thought it was soybeans and wheat. <clears throat> it's corn and soy? Corn, corn and soy. Okay. Corn and soybeans pre-emerge, yeah, you don't have a tremendous amount of choices. What I've told guys is I would use a group 15, and I would probably use something like a low rate of Sharpen. So you could find that in a product called Verdict. You can only use five ounces of Verdict, though, which gives you just one ounce of Sharpen. You have to be really careful with Sharpen in front of soybeans because it can hurt the beans. Sharpen at a, even two or three X rate of what you can use in soybeans is not going to hurt the corn though. So it's got to be used pre-emerge before there's anything up, but yeah, you could go plant the corn and beans, just make sure the verdict gets on or it could be used before planting as well. So that's probably the direction that I would go. You can't use a yellow like we use in soybeans. You can't use authority. You can't use valor. You can't use metribuzin. So Pretty much all the soybean pre's we normally recommend are out. 
So that kind of leaves you with this. I, I, I can't really come up with anything better that could be used on both. Now, post-emerge, that's where we start to run into some problems if you don't want to use a traded product. So the ideal way to do it would be, and this would be my number one recommendation, plant enlist beans and enlist corn. Now you can spray Roundup, you can spray 2,4-D, and you can spray Liberty. So this gives you the most options post-emerge. If you say, no, nope, I'm not going to use any traits. I had this come up the other day. A guy asked me in Iowa. He said, yeah, I want to do this, but I don't want to use traded. I want to use non-traded beans and corn. And I said, ooh, the only thing I can even think of is Bassagran. Darren, can you come up with anything else that I could spray post-emerge on conventional corn and conventional beans? Resource and cadet Ooh, resources. Are, yeah. are options, especially yep. for velvet leaf control. Forgot That's... all about that. Resource and cadet. Yep. So you got Bassagran, resource, and cadet. That's about all we can come up with. So we would just encourage you use traded crops. Now, could you go out there with just Roundup beans and Roundup corn? Sure. But how about all the Roundup-resistant weeds? That's where I come back to, if it was me, I'd raise enlist beans and enlist corn. And then I've got three great herbicides post-emerge. Yeah, Resource, Cadet, and Bassagran, they all have their fit. But there's a reason why they aren't used on very many acres throughout the world. It's because they don't have a very broad spectrum, any of them. And Roundup, 2,4-D, and Liberty all have much, much, much broader spectrums. Okay, the other question was just about fertilizer, and he said he has a six-row strip-till machine and could set it up to Ooh, do nice. three rows of corn, three rows of beans fertility and just run all yeah. through the field. Yep. The other way you could do it is just do it one way. Wait, whoa, stop. Why, do the why? corn strips and then come right. back and do the bean strips. Right. I'm but like, he wanted to match the planter up so he could run right in the same tracks as the planter and manage the, the traffic. And I do see the benefit of doing that. You know, the other thing well, you wait, could look wait, wait, at wait, stop. is- Wait, 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 stop. Why doesn't he just skip a pass every time? I, I mean, he's got to have something on his- I mean, he, that's he what could, we have. He could, but he wants to run those wheel tracks in the same yeah, spot. Yeah, you can. He's I'm saying plant, when you're planting, right, but he you was plant all plant, corn, right. you plant all beans, and you just have to skip every that's, pass. That's what I would do. Yeah, and then he could do absolutely. the same thing with the strip till rather than yes. try to plant it all exactly the same yes. time. Yes. Uh, that, that's what I would do. But absolutely. even if you were going to do it differently, you could still set your strip till pass up to be the exact same fertility. Because when you think about a two-year rotation of corn and soybeans, if you're going to flip those next year- Whatever, whatever's left on the beans will, will be in there for the corn. You just have to do a little figuring to figure out how much you're, you're going to need. And then just leave the nitrogen out and do that on a totally separate pass. So you wouldn't be able to do a complete pass. All right. There, so there's, there, a lot of, there's a lot of got, complication to it. Right. You got two problems. And you just have problems. to figure out, will you get enough extra corn yield to make it work to do this? Yeah, because let's just take P and K. So let's talk N, P, and K, the three that people are most commonly applying. Well, nitrogen, you don't, you need very, very little of that applied to your soybeans, whereas you need a lot of that for your corn. And for the phosphorus, you need much more in corn than you do in beans. Potassium, you need much more in beans than you do in corn. So you're going to have to flip that around a little bit. If it was me, yeah, I would just skip a pass on the planting every other one, and that's how I would do it. And then I'd do my strip till for my beans separate from my corn, and that will mean the least trips across the field. Now, the other thing that I'll tell you is we did a bunch of six and six for either two or three years, and it didn't work. 
Here's why. We they're, we they're, gained Brian, it. They're, I'm going to say this, though. Okay, Brian's going to give you a negative opinion of this, and, and it's, you- it's probably warranted, but I'll say this. There are a number of farmers around the country that are doing it. The reason most people are not doing it is because it's so complicated, just like the question that we're trying oh, to answer no. here for Jeff, that no. there's a lot of extra considerations you have to do. I disagree. But there are several farmers that I know of that do this as a regular practice no. on their farm and claim to be making more money doing it because they've made a lot more adjustments than what we did. We got into no. it for such a short period of time. We weren't varying population enough by row. And there are just some other things that we didn't play around with as far as, well, do we want to have a few more rows of soybeans or a few less rows of soybeans? How are we going to do it? We didn't play around with it long enough to make a great determination. I'll agree with Brian. I for the time did. that we did, with the things that we tried, it didn't come out financially beneficial for us, but there are other farmers who have. There you go. So my best advice for you, Jeff, would be seek out the farmers that are doing this currently and learn from them as much as you can. If you go on social media, I guarantee you, you're going to find farmers that are doing this or people that'll say, well, hey, I know a neighbor or I know a guy or I have a relative that's doing it and doing it well. Okay. Darren can point- visit their farms this summer. Okay. Darren's point was the main reason people aren't doing this is it's complicated. I disagree 1000%. Farmers will do anything if it pays them really great money. So I don't care how much work I have to go through. If it's going to pay me tremendously well, I'll do it. That's fine. That's not the reason why people aren't doing it. The reason why they aren't doing it is because it doesn't typically pay. I'll tell you where it does pay in just a second, though, but let me explain this. It's super, super easy, in our experience, to get 300 bushel corn if you're already raising 200 or 240 or whatever because you've got all that sunlight you're going to be able to capture. And in terms of... The soybeans, though, that's where we got killed. Our corn yields went up roughly 60 bushels. Our bean yields went down roughly 20 bushels. Now, the guys that, in my experience, have really liked this system are the guys who are really struggling on soybean yields before. So if you're only getting 50 bushel beans, then, yeah, you're probably going to really like this 6 and 6 system. If you're getting 70, 80 bushel beans, I struggle to believe that your bean yields aren't going to go down as much as your corn yields go up dollar-wise. And even if you make a few extra dollars, you have to look at it's a lot more hassle. It's just a lot more work. You're, you're cut down in terms of what you can plant for traits, for varieties, for herbicides. I, I mean, it's, it, it's hard. And then also you're planting six rows. Now, you could do it with a 24-row planter if you wanted to, but and we did. But to Darren's point, are there more things that can be done to better manage this? Absolutely. Like every system there is out there, just like we say, hey, conventional till, strip till, no till, I don't care what you do. You, But just understand, they're all dramatically different systems. When you go to six and six, I, Darren's absolutely right. And we, we should have done more on the varying population and stuff like that. But you think about that, what, they, what they'll typically tell you is the outside rows need to have more population. And then the center variety, so if you go six rows of corn, the center two rows need to be a, t- a different variety that's taller so you capture even more sunlight there. 
with the soybean side, you probably want to dramatically cut back. I, in fact, I would really super unbelievably dramatically cut back the outside row that's right next to the corn because that row is going to get absolutely destroyed anyway. No point in spending a whole bunch of money on seed. I'd go down to 50,000 population for that one row, try to make it up in the middle or something like that. So, yep, there, there are some things that can be done. And could we have done better? Yes. But from what I saw, and I don't remember if it was two or three years that we did this. I think it was three, but maybe it was only two. Two. But I, I just, I, I, right away, we're, we get to the corn, I go, wow, this is great. And then we get to the beans, and I go, oh, that's terrible. So it, you can you can absolutely try it, and we would encourage you to try it if you're all excited about it. And Darren was dead on right. Talk to the people that are doing it and are having success. They'll give you even more tips. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.